Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports comments editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We got a gambling segment. And this is a weird week because Rick is on the West Coast. I'm back here in the Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area. Um, if you have questions, uh, if Rick's compiled them, we'll have a segment called Ask Skinny Anything, where you can ask me a question on any topic. It doesn't have to be sports related, but if it is, we'll answer that question as well. Rick, appreciate your time tonight because we are doing this on a weird time because you are in Seattle, Washington, getting ready to call Washington NKU. Um, this is a fun non-conference game. It would be more fun if NKU had played better for bigger stretches against Middle Tennessee, but still a very fun environment you're going to be in tomorrow night. Yeah, no question about it. NKU has a couple of these games on their non-conference slate this year where you just have an opportunity. And like you said, Skinny, they didn't look very good in their season opener, but when you have a team like this where you have three guys coming back and a lot of talent, it's just fun to get the chance to play a game like these because you feel like you legitimately have a chance. It is one of your better teams. So uh, definitely looking forward to that one. Yeah, I mean, we saw them last year in the NCAA tournament, right? With uh, not all of these guys because it's a different roster, but a chunk of these guys that played pretty well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you want to jump right into the, the college basketball segment or do you want to uh, open the show with Ben? I let you – hey, I let you – Listen, I let you take me where the podcast takes us, Rick. You lead the way, baby. Uh, okay, well, since we did college basketball last week, we'll go back to the Bengals. Um, obviously, a huge win over the Bills on Sunday, 24-18. They never trailed in the game. Skinny, is it homerism or drinking too much of the Kool-Aid to think that this team is right back where everyone had them before the season, which is a popular Super Bowl pick? No, I think they're right back there for sure. Um you know, um, we I put up a story on our website today at local12.com of uh, we cite this site a lot because they send us stories, which is smart on their part, about where odds are. The Bengals on betonline.ag um, are fifth. Actually, that when I wrote the story, they were fifth. They're actually now tied for fourth. Lowest odds to win the Super Bowl. After the Tennessee game, they were 33-1 to one when they looked ugly. One in three. It was a mess. Joe Burrow was a physical mess. And suddenly, after this four-game winning streak, they're back to eight to eight and a half to one, tied for fourth lowest odds to win the Super Bowl. And I think that's all it took was to see Joe Burrow. And I know we talked about this on the podcast last week, Rick. That's all it took for me was to see a healthy Joe Burrow and this defense starting to play the way it's it's played when it's been really good. You'd like them to get more stops, if you will, to allow not as many yards per play and as many yards. But I go back to and, and Lou Anarumo's the best. Every time I, I bring this up to him, he's like. Yards don't equal points, and he's right. And and you can say, well, they're getting lucky with turnovers. And I would say, are they? Or are they creating those turnovers? There's a big difference. Kim Taylor Britt, did he steal an interception from Josh Allen? Yeah, he probably did. But did he bait him into making that throw? He probably did. Was the fumble Jermaine Pratt forced that Nick Scott recover? Was it lucky? Or is that a guy who continues to make big play after big play when they need it? Um, And they have dudes now playing at every level. Trey Hendrickson, the linebackers, Cam Taylor Britt. Um, Awujie's getting back a little by little, not as much as you'd like, but he's getting back little by little. You combine the defense playing the way it is with Joe Burrow, it's a hard team to beat. Yeah, the, well, and Skinny, they definitely have a philosophy about forcing turnovers where they're obviously looking for those and they're creating those plays. But I think it also goes back to the the yards don't equal points philosophy as well, that it's they don't want to call it bend but don't break. But in that case, call it, run a bunch of plays until you mess up. 
because in some ways that's what right. they're doing. They don't let you get into the end zone. They keep the ball in front of them and out of the end zone. And eventually, even if you're all the way into the, the 10 or the five yard line, they still give themselves that chance to knock a ball loose or intercept a, a ball and make a play on it. And uh, they've been so good at that now for so many years. Well, I say so many for the last two seasons under Lou Anarumo prior to this one, that at some point it can't just be a fluke. It can't just be them getting lucky in the red zone. Right. This is what they do. No. And, 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 you know, we've asked Brian Callahan, this and Lou, this of, you know, points across the league feel like they're down and why big plays are down. And why is that? And, and Brian's point as an offensive coordinator is teams are literally just trying to take everything away from them taking big plays and, and making big plays. And I, I think you see the teams are now willing to say, you know what, you want to get six here, eight here, 10 there, five there, three there, and it's your 12th play. And in this league, you can't go 12 or 14 plays and be flawless. It's hard to do. I think, you know, with the Bengals, Rick, I mean, the first, the last few games, the first two drives are bing, bing, bing down the field, touchdown, and it's like they're going to score 40 points today. And then it kind of grinds to a halt. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that's teams going, all right, we see you. We see what you're trying to do. We're going to take this away from you. We're sure as hell taking downfield away from you. You're not getting chunk plays on us. You want to try to drive it? Good for you. You did it two times. Can you do it four? Can you do it five? Can you do it six times? No, you can't. It's really hard to do. I think that's where we're at in the league right now, that complete cycle of teams going, hey, complete 10 passes underneath in a row if you want. But when you get to the 20, good luck trying to get in the end zone. We're going to hold you to three or we're going to knock a ball loose. Yeah, that's true. You are seeing that not just with the Bengals, but other teams are doing a good job of doing that same thing. It just gets really hard to score down there when you don't have nearly as much real estate that the defense has to cover. Right. And, you know, skinny looking also at the the offensive side of things from this Bills game. Is Joe Burrow just messing with us? I mean, come on, the tight end thing. (laughs) The tight, tight ends go 10 catches, 102, 101 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets in this game. In the same week where we all say, Irv Smith is done, you got to cut him. The Bengals' tight end situation is in shambles. Should they have tried to trade for somebody? Why didn't they adjust this in the draft? All of these storylines were all we heard for the past week plus. And then Joe Burrow does this, and he uses Irv Smith as the main target, uh, had that big touchdown catch. Is, is he just screwing with us at this point, Skinny? It's funny because, so I have Charlie Goldsmith from the Enquirer, Kelsey Conway from the Enquirer. They sit to my right in the press box. Paul Daner Jr. from the Athletic. Jay Morrison from Pro Football Network sit sit to my left. And at halftime, I said, man, this is trending into the easiest story we've all ever written, the tight end story. I said, somebody has to call it first just to make sure somebody's first. So after, I can't remember where it was in the second half. It might have been to the point where it was 10 for 101 yards. I go, I got the 10 end story, called it. And I did write it. I, I know others did too. But it was just such an easy narrative of, now they're playing with the tight ends, doing productive things. Where else can this offense go, right? I mean, that's kind of like the last frontier. You started to run it. They didn't run it great, but Mixon's had some good runs of late. Obviously, you know what Chase does. Higgins had a big night. Tyler Boyd's had some moments. But if you're going to involve the tight ends like this, how do you stop this offense on a consistent basis? Yes, drive to drive, you can. Because driving the ball in the league, as I mentioned, is really hard. But on a consistent basis, how do you stop this offense if the tight ends are involved? Yeah, and again, I don't I don't know that they need to be good. We talked about this in the offseason when we were addressing the draft. It's like, does the tight end actually have to be a, a talented tight end to work in this offense, or does he just need to be a warm body who knows where he's supposed to be because Joe Burrow will find him? Um, I, I'm not sure 
if we've proven that one way or the other yet, because it felt like it was trending one way with Irv Smith struggling so much. And then lo and behold, you have a game like this where Joe Burrow says, I don't even care who's out there. Drew Sample, Tanner Hudson, Irv Smith. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll throw it to all three of them and make them all talented players. I, I, I just think we, you know, we go back and forth so much with this tight end thing. And I think there are levels to it. You'd like to have a more talented player there. You'd like to have a guy that can open up a few more things for you. But you also have so many guys on this offense already. And when Joe Burrow is right and he's healthy and this offense has a little bit of flow to it, I don't think it matters all that much who's out there. No, and I do think that the elevation of Tanner Hudson was smart because he was their best receiving tight end. He truly is. He was the best guy in training camp. Um he proved the other night. He, he he sat down on the sideline to make a big catch on third down. He made a great double move on a third and one to catch a ball. And I do think whether Irv Smith would admit this or not, and he didn't because it was asked of him. Because I went to all three tight ends after the game to, to talk to them and write a story on uh, you know an analysis piece about hey how how much these guys have elevated the offense and what they did in the face of adversity. Um, don't tell me that didn't light a fire under Irv Smith a little bit too of, Oh gosh, they're going to bring up a practice squad guy to mess with my snaps. And, you know, and it did mess with his snaps for goodness sakes. I mean, they all pretty much shared all the snaps. And yet when his number was called, he was productive. Now he did have a drop. Okay. Life happens. Um, You know, the true sample play. So that, so we all talked the other thing too, Rick, and I was in this camp too, and I'm still kind of in this camp of, you needed to go get a backup running back at the trade down the line. They didn't, so we have to live with where we're at. You know, that Drew Sample check down to the right flat that he runs for a touchdown. You know who that was? That was Samaj P. Ryan. That was what Samaj P. Ryan did, was take a check down and go, I'm going to make a big play out of this. Drew Sample did that. I don't know if he's capable of doing that very often, but he did it. And that looked, that was very Samaj Remember the Pittsburgh game last year? The dude has three touchdown catches, for goodness sakes. I think two on check downs and one on a screen. Drew Sample did that off of a check down and showed some athleticism, which no offense, he hasn't shown very much in his career. So I'm not so sure that he didn't light a fire under every tight end of, I get an opportunity. I better go damn well make a play. Well, I think that's right. I guess my point where my, my uh, follow-up to that would be, I don't think we've had the final conversation here about these tight ends and Irv Smith. That was a great performance. No. It was a great no, game. You're right. Absolutely. And in some ways, I feel like Joe One Burrow game. was messing with us, One game. but I still think Irv Smith is going to struggle. No, and to your point, it's one game. It was one fun game, and it was one game where they needed them to produce because they literally, Buffalo said, we are taking Jamar Chase out of your mix. You can go to T. Higgins all you want. You better go somewhere else. And they went somewhere else. They went tight end heavy. But you're right. I mean, they're going to have to come through again. I don't need them to go 10 for 100. You don't either. Nobody does. But can you get me five for 50 on a regular basis as a group? I think they can because I think Tanner Hudson is every game going to be worth two or three catches. I do. I think he is a really talented receiver. He's got his issues blocking. He's never really put his hand in the dirt until he came to the NFL. I get all that. But that dude's a really talented receiver. Well, I wanted to ask you about him because uh, Chris Collinsworth, of course, was the analyst for that game. And I know you weren't listening to that because you were at the game. But uh, dur- during, I think, one catch into Tanner Hudson's performance, he brought up that he is a Travis Kelsey-like tight end. Uh, do you agree with that yeah, assessment? I heard that. I heard that. And 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 I know there's a fan that te- that emailed a colleague of mine that, that suggested that, that that's exactly what he is. And I'm like, no, he's really not. Um, but he's, 
Listen, I think he's a very serviceable player who on this roster, and people can disagree with this, he is their best receiving tight end. He really has a natural feel for it. You know, his college career, it was at Southern Arkansas. Go look him up. They're a very small Division II-ish school. Um, he actually went to Memphis initially to play quarterback and be a kicker, believe it or not. He was going to do both those things. But uh, he transferred. He went to a place, and, and he said, Southern Arkansas, I did a story on last week. He said, they already had a quarterback they liked as a senior. They wanted to play him, and he was really good. So they said, hey, we want to move you to tight end. He said, I was reluctant, but I did it. And he goes, best thing ever happened to me because I would have never played quarterback in the NFL, and here I am playing tight end in the NFL. But he's all talked about the blocking part because they were a big spread offense, and you know, spread tight ends don't line up in line. They don't run block very much. So that's been a transition for him. But I do think he's a really natural receiver. I mean, I think he's – Honestly, he he was clearly, and we've talked about. I've written about this. I've told you that he was clearly their best receiving tight end in camp. And that's not all the part of the tight end. The tight end role is a multifaceted role, and that's the funny part to this. Um, you know, we look at them as a receiver, but it's inline blocking. It's occasionally pass blocking. It, there's a lot to the tight end role, but man, as a receiver, he's really naturally gifted. You know, I didn't write about this after we talked to Zach on Monday. Um, but I thought he made a good point because I felt the same way. The early route where he went to the sideline and just kind of sat down about two yards beyond the marker. It didn't move. He just kind of sat there. And Burrow kind of looked around, looked around, and looked back to the left and went, oh, yeah, you're there. And he zipped it to him for a first down. It looked like an easy pitch and catch. And it really wasn't because Tanner could have panicked and go, well, he didn't come to me. Do I have to break my route off? Or do I have to? He realized this is the spot I need to sit. I'm two yards beyond the marker. The corner's playing off. He doesn't see me at the moment, so I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to be open, and if he sees me, I'm going to get a first down. And he threw a perfect ball and an easy ball. That's what smart players do. And and I think he showed a lot of savvy in that moment to do that. That's the aspect of his game that Collinsworth actually kept bringing up. I was making the joke, but Collinsworth did – Clarify no, a statement. No, it's funny. There. It's funny. Somebody actually texted a colleague of mine to tell me he looks very Travis Kelsey-esque. Come on, bro. Let's let's slow the roll just a hair. Yeah, it's, it's a bit much when you start throwing around, you know, probably the most talented tight end in the league's name attached to Tanner Hudson, right. a guy who was on the practice squad last week. But uh, the point he kept making and bringing up over and over again is he has he was a quarterback and he has that quarterback's mentality and knowledge of what the quarterback might be looking for or thinking. Sure. And to the play that you just pointed out was one of the ones that Collinsworth pointed out as well of just this is a knowledge thing of he understands what's happening in this play. He has a good feel for the situation and the overall defense and what they're doing. And he realizes that Joe's going to come back to him eventually here. And uh, it, it did work out. So I do think there is some real upside to Tanner Hudson and there are aspects of his no game doubt. that do excite me and to his credit i mean dude he is he he's bounced from tampa as an undrafted free agent to the niners to the giants to now the Bengals, and to persevere and keep rolling with this and then to finally get your chance when he had those two elevation games. that's the thing he had those two elevation games and had success it wasn't huge success four catches for 48 yards but hell at the time it was better than any other tight end on this roster had done and i and I think the Bengals then had to put him back down because you only get one more elevation. They were looking for a roster spot open, and they finally got it with the Chase Brown injury. I mean, how about him persevering to the point of, okay, this sucks. I think I've proven myself, but maybe they don't think I've proven myself. Sometimes it's roster gymnastics, and the roster gymnastics did not work for him at that point. They finally did, and they they realized, and Zach said it on Monday, he goes, he was literally the 54th player. Now, that's probably BS for all I know, but it was a good quote because – 
it, it made you realize how close they really thought he was. And I do think they really thought he was close. But Mitchell Wilcox, as I talked last week, special teams role. Drew Sample has this specialty blocking third down running back blocking role. And Irv Smith, you signed as a free agent. You're going to give him every chance to succeed or fail. So it really was roster gymnastics. And here he is. I, I think he's going to help this team. And he's going to have more big moments for the years out, in my opinion. All right, well, we'll do this briefly because I want to talk a little bit more about the receivers and the injuries and everything going on there. But offensive yeah. line, Skinny, this has been a story for this team for the last two years. And to start this season, it was not looking good once again that the offensive line needed to be upgraded and Joe Burrow's running for his life. The last few weeks against some pretty good defenses, I feel like the offensive line play has been stellar. What it what it's been the the talk of the Bengals media cohort there and in, in the locker rooms of Paul Brown Stadium as you guys have been talking about the offensive well, line play. Uh, yeah, I think I said this after the Tennessee game. You guys can blame everybody can blame the offensive line all they wanted. When Joe Burrow is immobile, when any quarterback is immobile and he can only stand in one spot, defenses are going to kill that quarterback. The offensive line has no chance. They know where his mark is. They know where to go. They know that he can't get out. They know that he can't do all these things. They're going to kill him. And then the offensive line is the group that looks bad about that because, oh, they allowed this sack and that sack and that's, and they made him run the, throw the ball out quickly. This still goes back to, and I hate to do this, it still comes back to Burroughs calf, compromise those guys too. Um, because they just didn't have a chance to do the things that they're capable of doing. The fact he couldn't go under center. Now, they didn't go under center much on, on Sunday night. Okay. Now, part of the game plan, but they did go under center the, the game before that. I, I think that compromised the run game, their ability to run block. I think all of this was still tied to Burroughs' calf. And so, again, they looked bad at times. The Tennessee game, they got a lot of unfair criticism, in my opinion, because they just didn't have a puncher's chance because it was a shotgun snap and their burrow sat five yards behind the line of scrimmage of, well, let's go get him right there. Cause he can't move backwards. He can't move forwards. He can't move sideways. And they just clap the pocket against those guys. And so they have no chance. And I will say now, once we see them with him being healthy, you see, Hey, they're doing a pretty good job. And yes, he has to escape some. And I've told you that Rick, we talked about it. Pat Mahomes, go watch games that he plays. He takes a snap, and it feels like two seconds later, he's out the window one way or the other. He's like, yeah, here they come. I get it. I'll, I'll take care of you guys. That's what great quarterbacks do, and Burrow's so good at that. Um, he doesn't have to do it all the time now because the offensive line's been good. But when he has had to, he's made them look good too. Playing from behind too. You know, it's one thing that he was immobile yeah, right. and sitting a sitting duck back there, but they right. were also constantly behind because of that. And so you become one-dimensional from that aspect. And it's really just the defensive lines were teeing off on him. And you, you were dead right. Another thing you were right about, Skinny, you said you think we're going to see a different T. Higgins coming out. And we did finally see a different T. Higgins in this game. He went for eight catches, 110 yards against the Bills. It was by far his best game yet of the season. Now, I do know that he got injured in practice this week, has a hamstring injury, so yeah. that could be a setback there. But wh where do we stand with this T. Higgins? Do you think this is a, a good sign moving forward, or is this injury going to be a huge setback? Yeah, no, I, I think the game, the performance on Sunday was a great sign moving forward because once he was healthy and they said, hey, Jamar's taken away, tight ends were a part of it, but you're, you're going to have to be the next big option. And he came up huge, made some big catches, made a couple of just great, you know, hands catches. Yeah, he's, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. He was limited today. That was a bit of a surprise to me. We knew about the chase situation with the back. Um, you know, he talked 
Truth to Power on Monday, where he really sounded down in the dumps about not being able to play against Houston. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Get yourself right for Baltimore. It's a short week. You can survive without him against Houston. You really can. Um, but you can't survive. I don't, well, you could, and they probably will, but you don't want to try to survive without Chase and Higgins. I'm hoping today was more of a, hey, let's just err on the side of caution. Let's um, you know, see where things go tomorrow. If he's limited tomorrow and he's limited Friday in a walkthrough, which hopefully he's not, usually those are the signs um, of, of guys, whether they can play or not. If they can get through the walkthrough, that's usually a good sign if they're full. Um, I will say, don't forget, Joe Mixon was limited and he was questionable for the game with his chest injury and did play. So it doesn't mean they can't play. But um, I was surprised by the hamstring situation and a little dismayed because I don't think Jamar Chase plays on Sunday. I, again, I'm jumping the gun on this a little bit. Uh, so you're going to need T. Higgins to play. Yeah, that could be a real problem. But then you look across the other side and I see the injury they got, come out. They had 60 Texas guys and- injured. Yeah, half the team is literally on the injury report. So how much of that is them just playing games and how much of it is there's a real concern with their depth right now? It's funny. You're not supposed to play games with that. I know teams do, but you can't play games to that nature if you don't have guys. That was the crazy. That was literally the crazy. I didn't get a chance to tweet that uh, because I was at basketball practice and then I had to go write a story. But when I saw it, I get the email and the injury report, obviously. And I saw that, I went, what what are do what are you doing? What is this? I don't know if I've ever so seen you that. You can't before. play. I I've not seen that before. Now remember in the day Denver used to play some games with the injury report, and I think in the Shanahan days, um, Belichick's played games with the injury report, but not to that extent. So I, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So I don't even know what to tell you with that, other than if they're going to have those many guys hurt or questionable or not being able to play or whatever the hell it is. You were already under the eight ball as it was. Good luck coming to Cincinnati and winning that game, Houston. Yeah, definitely. Anything else on the Houston matchup? Obviously, C.J. Stroud has really taken that team by storm and given them new hope all of a sudden. He's playing really well. I'm not entirely surprised by that. I thought he was a a dynamite quarterback in college and certainly more of a pro-style quarterback compared to some of the other Urban Meyer Ohio State quarterback prospects that have come out in the last several years. Yeah, so so as much as you've blown smoke up my butt tonight for the things I've done right, let me just tell you, I was not a C.J. Stroud fan only because I, most Ohio State quarterbacks that come out have failed on a grand scale. Um, until C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields, the best Ohio State quarterback to play in the NFL, and I'm serious about this, was Mike Tomzak. Rick, you may remember him. Maybe others don't, and maybe you don't. Dealers back Go look up Mike Tomzak. Yeah, he was – he was literally the best quarterback to come out of Ohio State from an NFL perspective. Art Schleister was probably the best prospect, but Art had more issues than we can imagine. Um, so uh, I, that's where I've always had the caveat of, well, I got to see it to believe it. You know, Cardiel Jones and his big arm didn't work. JT Barrett didn't work. You know, Braxton Miller became a, 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 a wide receiver, and that's fine. I mean, yeah, he was a good, he was a good athlete, but – None of these guys worked out, so it always felt like, okay, you're a system guy at Ohio State that's never worked in the NFL, and maybe this is a credit to Ryan Day and maybe, a, a, a honestly, a ding on Urban Meyer because Tim Tebow sucked in the NFL. Uh, you know, uh, JT Barrett sucked. Uh, Braxton Miller sucked. I mean, Cardell Jones sucked. Uh, you know, maybe this is more of a credit to Ryan Day that he got Justin Fields and and, uh, and uh, C.J. Stroud ready to play in the NFL, and good for him if that's the case. 
So to, to CJ Stroud's credit, he's been really good, but he's been really good, but he's also been really inconsistent. Go look at some of his numbers. There's been wildly fascinating, great games and wildly fascinating. That's why you're a rookie games. And I would, I would say rookie on the road against Super Bowl caliber team will probably be rough on him, but maybe not. Maybe this was the turning of the page for him of I'm so good. I don't care who you are, where you are. I'm going to mess you up. I have a hard time believing it. I think it was more Tampa Bay stunk. Now, he was great. I mean, that drive, the last drive, he made some throws that were just stupid good. Um, but I'm of the yoke of, hey, rookie, you've done great at times. And I think to his credit, to your point, I think he is going to be good because he's showing good signs of that moving forward. But I think there's also going to be hiccups for him. And the hiccups come against really good teams. And I think a hiccup, hiccup comes this week. All right. We will get your picks for that game coming up here during our betting segment in a little bit, but let's move on to the Reds briefly here, Skinny, because there was some big news at the end of last week after we had already recorded the podcast when the Reds declined the 2024 club option for one Joseph Daniel Votto. Didn't come as a surprise, obviously, for people like us, but were you surprised at all by the way it was handled or the statement that Nick Crawl put out? It was weird. Um, I'll give you that weird, because right? it came on a on, yeah, it came on 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 a day where I uh, it's funny. So uh, I, for those I coach high school basketball, and we had practice on Saturday morning. I came back home and get ready to to kind of huddle in, and it's a fairly day off for me. I still got some work to do. We got some college football games to put up, and I'm kind of like relaxing. And all of a sudden, I see my email about that. And uh, we had a guy, uh, I'll give credit because do a guy on our desk, Seth Rivera, who works our digital team. And I saw it probably 10 minutes late. And I saw, I went in, I'm like, dad, gone. I got to do this. So I started to do it. And Seth put the story up to his credit. And I'm like, good for you. And I went back in and added some points to it. But then I, I, I kind of looked at the statement and I went, that doesn't sound really good. It sounds weird. At the same time, I mean, maybe it was contentious enough where they told Votto, listen, we'd love to have you back. Um, we'd love to re-sign you. We're not going to we're not going to bring up your twenty million dollar op. We're just not going to sign the twenty million dollar option because you're not going to be an everyday player. Nor should he be. And let me be clear on that. And I think you'll agree with that. Nor should he be. We'd love you to be a part of this. Um, if you'd like to be a part time player, um, we'll go ahead and give you the you know, pay you the seven million dollar buyout and like to re-sign you. And maybe at that point, Joe goes no. I want to be an everyday player. And then he comes out the next day saying he wants to be an everyday player. He comes out on social media, thanked Red fans, which was classy to do and all those things. Um, who does he think he's going to be an everyday player for? Unless it's a scrub team. Does he think he's going to be an everyday player for a good team with what he's done the last two years? I mean, he had a chance to be a nice bench piece, occasional DH with a little bit of pop off the bench for a potential playoff team here. And maybe it still comes to that. I don't think that window is completely closed, but it felt like Nick crawl closed it by what he said. And so, and I'm not, I'm not mad at that. I, I, I hope Reds fans are not mad at that because no offense, he's not very good anymore. Yeah. So that was the thing that was interesting to me about it is I expected a process where it was like the Reds didn't pick up the club option and we'd all go, yeah, that was expected. And there'd be the few fringe fans that freaked out a little bit and they'd be calmed down and everyone would be like, no, it's not over yet. They're just not paying them $20 million. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But the way they put it out of like, you know, Joey Votto doesn't have a spot on this year's team and the way that he put out this video statement now and just the the whole way it's been handled by both sides very much feels like 
that was the end and this is over and there is no chance of him coming back as a free agent on a smaller contract. Do you think that is still a, a legit possibility? Legit? No possibility. Yes. Because again, I go back to, okay, does he want to try to get to the playoffs one more time? Does he just want another season? Because if he wants to play every day, Rick, who is what legitimate playoff contender signs a guy at 40 years old off the last two seasons he's had, man. Well, right. I mean, and maybe the Reds don't even want him as a a backup hitter off the bench, but if they did, don't you think that would be a much more exciting option for a guy who claimed he loved playing with this young core so much to watch these young guys that he's kind of groomed, watch them come into their own, lead this team to the playoffs, and then potentially have those chances to be the veteran bat off the bench to come up in a big moment and get that big hit for a meaningful team in the city that you claim to care so much about. And I'm not trying to put any of this on Joey Votto. I think he's done everything right, even the way he went out with classes. But it just feels a little weird. Yeah, no, it's it's business. That's where I go back to. Again, just... I'm not sure the best way to do this. And I understand he wants to play every day. I do. That's just pride, right? I mean, who wants to go say, hey, I'd like to play one day a week and get two pinch hits the other two days of the week. That'll be a lot of fun. But there's the reality of the moment, too, of that's what you are, man. At 40 yeah. years old, that's the best case scenario of what you are. And then you can mentor these young guys and be a part of this. And maybe there comes a time where, hey, you know, we need a left-handed DH for a week because our Whoever it is, um, Jake Fraley is DHing that week, and it just he's hurt. Whatever, and maybe you carry the team for a week. How much fun would that be? So because that's the, the only side you're getting for a winning team. Yes, correct. Yeah, there are correct. no there are no Why other winning teams that are going to take you as a full time player. Correct. That's my point. So you're going to go. You want to be an everyday guy? Go get 500 bats for uh, for Anaheim. Go. Sit behind that crap guy, even though the crap team, even though they got two of the biggest studs in the all time. I, I just, I, I again, I, I, I know the Reds are going to get him for this of being cheap. And why don't you pick up his? Why would you pick up a twenty million dollar contract of a guy who's an who's not an everyday player, nor should he be? Yeah, I, I, I and and this is one of those situations where I'm fine with fans being irrational at the end of the day because, like, I, I can get it. You're, you're losing maybe your favorite player over the last decade plus of Reds baseball. It's an emotional attachment that you have to him. You don't have to like the fact that he's leaving. I won't tell anyone that. But I would also say, I mean, there's no reason to be upset about the way they're handling this so far. I'm just no. a little bit surprised that it seems so final. It, it, I thought there would be much more of a process to this of like, maybe they'll bring him back as a free agent. Maybe they won't. Right now, it seems very much to be like, they're not even considering it. And in that case, it's kind of a little weird that there wasn't more of a send-off at the end of the year, I feel like. Or, or again, I go back to, they talked to him about that, and he just simply said, no, I want to play every day. I'm going to find a place I can play every day. And that could be the case, and in that case, he's just being unreasonable, and I think he'll unfortunately find out that that, that opportunity just isn't going to be out there for him, and, and so be it. And then, may, and then maybe, to the Reds' credit at that point, and to his credit, maybe they all swallow hard both ways and go, hey, for three mil, you want to come back? I love you. You want to come back? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the case. Could be. All right, let's switch gears to college football here. Cincinnati lost to UCF 28-26 to in a back-and-forth game last Saturday. Skinny, the Bearcats will play at Houston this week. Um, 
I'll say I'm impressed by the way Emory Jones keeps leaving it all out there. Fans are booing him and, and want him replaced. They've lost seven straight. They don't have a big 12 win yet. The defense couldn't get a stop for him late on Saturday when he was making plays, actually. But, I mean, he gave them a chance to win that game. He put them in position to win that game. Now, he's had his moments, and he's struggled certainly this year, but you can't fault the guy's effort. He keeps going back and and giving him his best chance. God love you for patting him on the head because he, I, I guess, deserves a pat on the head, but he still stinks. But it, but the thing that's been really disappointing to me has been the defense. I thought the defense would be better than this. Um, I thought the defense would give them more chances to win, and that to me is the most disappointing part. I don't know if that's on Satterfield. I don't know if that's on the coordinator. I don't know if that's on – I overestimated the personnel. I mean, you have been a first-team All-American defensive tackle. You have a pace, and I don't care. You give me a pace on any level, a pace is going to go kick somebody's ass. Um, yeah. You know, so I, they had a couple of dudes. Now you need more than a couple of dudes, but they still, I thought they were going to be really good on defense, not elite. I mean, the Oklahoma game was a real good harbinger in the big 12 of damn. Okay. This team was scoring 50, 60 points a game and you stuffed it up their ass. And yet the offense couldn't do anything in that game. And that is what it is. Um, in retrospect, the mistakes, as, as we've come to find out, they're not as good as we thought, but still that felt like a really good moment of, Oh, Okay. This defense is going to be really good moving forward against the Iowa States and the Baylors and the UCFs and whatever other trash team you can talk about in this league. Um, and they haven't been. And that's been the most disappointing part to me. Emory Jones aside, listen, I, you know, I've said it on the podcast a thousand times. Those of you listen, I'm sorry. I don't want to keep running the kid down. I never thought he was any good. It, it was a weird decision to me. He's not the complete reason they're two and seven. The defense is more of a reason they're two and seven than him, to be quite frank. Yeah, and especially in this game. I mean, it was tough, man. They they just could not get a stop in the fourth quarter when they they had it. I mean, they had the game, and and that's the thing. You go back to the Oklahoma game, and you saw the way they performed. It doesn't feel like it's a talent gap. It doesn't feel like they just are overwhelmed by UCF's talent. I mean, UCF came from the American, too, and UC certainly had more talent right. than they did uh, the last few years. So I just – I don't buy that it's a, a talent gap mostly. I think there are other issues there and, and probably coaching is, is part of it. Um, and maybe they're losing, maybe the the defense is getting beat down a little bit with all the losing that this team has done this year. I don't know. But Skinny, I, I'm curious, looking back, what do you make of the Miami of Ohio loss now? Do you think that game broke them? Or well, should I do. we have taken that I, as more of a sign that was of what was to come? I think both. I, yeah, it's a great question, Rick. That's what's real phrased because I think that's both. I think uh, it was more of a sign to things things to come. You know, Eastern Kentucky, they just overmatched them. It is what it is. Yeah. It's funny because the next week, Kentucky didn't overmatch them, right? And it's like, oh, well, Kentucky's pretty good, and they got SEC dudes, and they didn't overmatch them. Well, we all know everything's not equal. It's not apples, and, or it, it's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges in college football week to week. But still, it looked like, oh, okay, that – was a pretty good win. And then they go to Pitt and you realize that Pitt stinks. But the Miami game felt like 3 and 0 going against Oklahoma and you win that game and then you play the way you played against Oklahoma where you had a fighting chance and you gave yourself a fighting chance and then you kind of petered out but that, that would have been okay. That would have been hey 3 and 1 and 20 to 6 to Oklahoma. Look at the way the defense played and you had opportunities on offense and then it didn't come to fruition. So I do think Miami broke them, and I think that that was the turning point, and it's snowballed since then in a major negative way, and here we are where they're going to go 2-10.
Kentucky handled Mississippi State 24-3 to on Saturday. Alabama comes to Lexington this week. I would say that was a surprisingly great result for Kentucky to win the way they did, but Mississippi State with Will Rogers, their starting quarterback being out, their quarterback situation was just a disaster in this game, Skinny. That was hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Wright was really bad. Um, I, I, hopefully that's a confidence boost for the defense going into the Alabama game. I'm not sure that it is. Uh, maybe it is because the game before against Tennessee, they were trash, and Tennessee ran all over them. You know, the flip side is the offense was eh at Mississippi State. It was really good in the Tennessee game. I'm looking forward to watching Alabama just because I'm a, a Kentucky grad and I'm probably going to, you know, get, commit Harry Carey at halftime and – be really disappointed when it's 26 to nothing or whatever the hell it's going to be. But I still hold out hope. I'm a stupid loser fan. It's the one thing I'm a fan of, and I'm going to be a stupid loser fan on on Saturday, uh, rooting and then at halftime running out the door, doing leaves and calling it a day. I I, I know it's coming. I know I'm going to be raking leaves at 145 on Saturday, hating my life. Yeah, I, I think you will. I hate to say it, but I just don't see any way that this UK team. I, I, I expected that game to be a fun one, one to look forward to after the first few weeks this year. I was like, oh, okay, Kentucky's got something, and this Alabama game is going to be fun, but it just never materialized for this UK team, and I think this is going to be a bloodbath. All right, hey, Ohio State. they got eligible for the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Hey, they got eligible for the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yeah, we love our bowl games in Lexington. Coach Cal, Coach yes, Cal, Pat do. Mark Stoops on the head. Good job, buddy. You made, you made your bowl game again. Good job, man. Yep. We're a football school. Ohio State beat Rutgers 35-16 with a big second half. The Buckeyes host Michigan State this week. No one cares about anything going on in the Big Ten other than the Michigan cheating scandal right now. But, Skinny, this game actually against Rutgers was a struggle. Uh, Ohio State trailed 9-7 to at the half. We're only up 21-16 to in the fourth quarter before they, they finally poured it on and, and put it away. The one thing about Ohio State that has really stood out to me the last few weeks is Travion Henderson has given the offense a lift in the running game. They really haven't had much of a rushing attack all season. And all of a sudden now he's put a couple of big games uh, out there. And and even if you go back to what I can't remember what his last week was, was it like it it wasn't Indiana? I mean, it was early in the season, but he had a big game there, too. It was early. Yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah, it was early. You're right. Might have been worse. Um, so yeah. I think he might be kind of the missing link for that offense to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I think we've come to the conclusion that Kyle McCord is what he is. And, you know, maybe it's he's just a game manager. And that's that always sounds like a terrible phrase, but it's fine. Game manager throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. is perfectly fine to me. Um, as long as that guy turns a six-yard out or a slant into a 70-yard touchdown, great. We're good with that. The defense – is what it is. It's so good. It scored them a big point on a big point, big points on the 93 yard interception return. So you know what you're getting from that group. You know, it still comes down to, and it's funny because Michigan has still Penn state and Ohio state. I mean, for Ohio state, it's now I would, whatever energy you have for every week, Michigan state stinks. I'm not even sure what's after that. And then Michigan, all your energy now is going to the Michigan game. Cause that's the deciding factor of where this season goes. No doubt. And I mean, they even like Lathan Ransom, I, I don't even think they care if he plays the next two weeks at all. It's only right. going right. to be back for Michigan, you know, and, and that's, that's good. But I just, I think with the, with this Ohio state team and the way the offense has been, 
now, don't get me wrong. Like, they weren't dominant in this Rucker game, Rutgers game. We just talked about how they struggled and, and didn't pour it on until the fourth quarter. But I'm not sure where they would have been if they didn't have Travion Henderson in this game. This game might have actually been a right. problem. Uh, you talked about game manager. I said it before the season that I think Kyle McCord is the college version of what we viewed Andy Dalton as at the NFL level. He is. He can be a good quarterback. He can be a winning quarterback at a pretty high level, but he's not going to be the talent that pushes your team over the top. You're going to need those type of guys around him, and they have one of those types of guys around him that he's throwing to in Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, and I'll give him this. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Doesn't make a lot of plays, but doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And that's where, for this defense, if you're going to be in a position where it's third and seven and he throws an incompletion that's not a turnover and they punt it away, Great, because this defense is not going to let you drive the ball on them very much. I mean, they were so good in the red zone against Rutgers. I mean, honestly, Rutgers should have had, I mean, hell, it was a 20, 21, 22-yard field goal for the first nine points for Rutgers, right? So think about where Rutgers was when those balls were snapped. They should have scored a touchdown or two and did not because of the Ohio State defense. And that, that, that to me, is the big difference. It's not pretty. It's not... It's not C.J. Stroud throwing the ball down the field 60 yards. It's not those things. But you know what? You're undefeated, and you're going to be undefeated in Michigan. And let's see let's, uh, let's see game on at that point. If this defense is good enough to limit Michigan with their multi, uh, multi-faceted attack, and Kyle McCord can make a play or two. You don't even make a bunch, a play or two. And we're still weeks away from that. I cannot wait for that game. But did I tell you the issue I have on that date? No, my brother is getting married on that day. Is your I love your brother. I know your brother. What what is he What is he doing? I know. I mean, it's not just that game either. There's other crazy good games, obviously. Uh, but I I can't believe. Oh, wow, sure. Yeah, I can't believe that we're all going to be at a wedding. I mean, NKU also has a game that I'm not going to be able to call that day. So he's just really cramping my dude, style. Got to be honest, dude. What is he doing? What is he doing? You You should have a talk with him. I mean, I think his whole his whole groomsman party is like, my man, what what's going on here? So, so I'll ask you because I'm I I have no shame. Do you need somebody to call the NKU game for you? You got a guy. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Drew McDonald is going to be taking my place. How about that? Is he really yeah. good for him? That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that question. That's awesome. Yeah, it'll, it'll be good. He's already brother. been doing some games what? on TV for ESPN Plus, so. Yeah, let's get back to your brother. What is he doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's it's that's a tough move. But all right, I, got, I would Rob, bring... Rob, Rob, no, no, Rob Roaring. What are you doing? What <laughs> Mrs. Future Mrs. Rob Roaring? What are you doing? You know her well too, and her family. I her, do. I mean, her mom's an athletic director. She's an athlete. She's a former college athlete and a damn good one. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my I, I would bring up the Michigan scandal skinny, but quite honestly, like we've already got so much to discuss and that story changes every single day with new layers to where yes, I, I just don't know how much we can add to it right now. So maybe we'll wait another week and bring that back up when we, we get a little well, more, cause, cause more stuff's going to happen. Yeah. More stuff's yeah. going to happen. Connor Stallings exactly. is going to go kill somebody at some point. <laughs> no, no doubt. I mean, the fact that he was doing the vacuum refurbishment company out of his house, I just can't get over some of these facts of the My story, man. but my Again, man, we, what are we doing? We got too much other stuff to get into. So quick college basketball whip around. Number 16, Kentucky beat New Mexico State 86-46 on Monday to open the season. They play Texas A&M Commerce on Friday and then Kansas on Tuesday, the number one team in the country. 
Uh, Rob Dillingham led five players in double figures with 17 against New Mexico State. Reed Shepard had 12. He was one of those guys in double figures. Skinny, to me, that was kind of my takeaway from this game. I loved Reed Shepard during the games in Canada, and it just feels like the more and more I watch this UK team, the more I feel like he is going to be a big factor right away as a freshman off the bench. Well, I got to be honest with you. I love Rob Dillingham. I saw him in the blue-white game, and I thought he was just off the charts great. And this game, he wasn't off the charts great, but he was damn good. I, I do want to see what happens when he plays something at the next level, the Kansas game in particular. That game has a chance to either be really fun because Kentucky now with this open post spread it out offense because they don't have the seven footers may cause Kansas trouble, or it also may be, oh my God, they can't guard a seven footer in Hunter Dickinson at the rim. And that's fine. I get it because they don't have seven footers at the moment, but they got three seven footers on the bench. That game fascinates me. Um, Texas AM commerce and New Mexico state make me sad because it just, it just, it's a, it's a waste. It's not a waste of time, but it wastes my time. Um, it was fun to watch them win the way they did win on, on, uh, on Monday because they really got on a roll and dominated. And I do like, I do like the way they spread the floor, but I want to watch when the seven footers come back, what's it going to look like? Cause somebody's got to be in a post. I, I get their seven footers and go step out on the floor and shoot a three. But what's it going to look like when somebody has to go in the post? And so, um, yeah, well, the Kansas game to me fascinates me. What happens if you beat Kansas playing like this? What happens if you're undefeated and you're just on a roll playing the best basketball you have during the Calipari era? That's and, incredible. Like, what do you do at that point? Do you even – got to play these guys, wow. obviously. They're incredible talents, but I don't sure. know – if you could go to a different style of offense or, or they, what that'll look like. It'll drive me, the fans absolutely yeah, they ain't beating Kansas without the seven-footers. I, I don't believe that in a heartbeat. I but think you're right. right about it. it would be crazy incredible if they did. It's weird to even think about Kentucky being in this Kansas game with, like, low expectations. Like, no one expects them to have a chance at winning this game. They're ranked 16th in the country. It's like nothing. And they're, they're, and they're they the are team number one in the country. Time. Yes. Yeah. All right, Xavier beat Robert Morris 77-63 on Monday to open their season at the Centa Center. They play Jacksonville on Friday, and then they've got the big one at Purdue on Monday as part of the Gavitt cool. games. Uh, Desmond Claude scored 25 points, lived up to the hype that we'd been hearing about him all offseason. They had five players in double figures. One of those was the Lithuanian transfer, Gitas Namiksha, who had a double-double with 10 points and 12 rebounds. Skinny, your thoughts on the uh, the Xavier win there? Um, Desmond Claw was great. Um, can he beat Can he beat Purdue one on five? Uh, because he's going to have to. I, I I wasn't very impressed. I'm sorry, Rick. I know you're a you cover Xavier and, and people that you know are, are on your website or watching the podcast. I was I was more disappointed than 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 excited by Xavier and trust me when I tell you this I I go to I've talked about this, I go to three to five Xavier games a year um, with my friend as a fan and I enjoy it and I just enjoy college basketball in general especially in this area um, you know I just I, I just wasn't very impressed with what they did uh, again I was impressed with Desmond Claude by far he was great but my lord Zach is gonna kill them he's just gonna kill them it's gonna be insane he may score seventy. Maybe yeah, Will Chamberlain against five nine guys. It's going to be crazy. 
That's my concern is the front court. And Robert Morris just didn't test that at all because they were playing two six seven two hundred pounders in their front right. court. So aside right. from Desmond Claude looking incredible, and he really did look incredible. Not not because the competition level aside, he was just doing things where it's like, geez, oh, Pete, no. this guy looks oh, like yeah, com- com- yeah, Rick, competition level aside, he looked better than Kobe Jones look. I mean, he's he's got to be a better player than Kobe Jones, in my opinion. And I know that's he a looked big leap. So- I get it. I'm he looks so similar physically to Colby, but he handles the ball a little bit better. And I think he's actually shooting from three a little bit better already at this point of his career too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, who so else I, scores I, for them at a high, who else scores for them and stops people at a high level? Who else? Yeah. I mean, I think Davion McKnight is very good defensively, but offensively he's not a like go-to score at this level. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer to that question right now. Uh, will the freshman Lazar Djokovic develop into that type of player uh, to where he can give it to you one night, and then maybe you do get a big shooting night out of Quincy Oliveri another night, and then maybe Gitas can get you twelve to fifteen. Like maybe it's by committee type thing to to have that different maybe. sidekick every night for Desmond Claude. Maybe, but that seems like it's going to be difficult for them to do. And and we talked about this before the season. At some point, having you know, multiple conference USA mid-major transfers trying to make that jump up at the same time is going to be tough just from a sheer talent perspective. You're going to be a little overwhelmed by some of those other high major opponents. And I think we'll get a look at that against Purdue on Monday night. Now, if if they can work past that and figure it out as the season goes along, more power to Sean Miller and his staff because that would be a, a really impressive job with the group they've got. Yeah, the one thing I would say about this is I don't think this is a very good team at the moment. Um, they were compromised by Fremantle's injury and by Jerome Hunter's medical situation. And that's nobody's fault. It just is what it is. And those guys would have made a huge difference. We can argue about Fremantle's defensive prowess, which is not very good. But on the other end of the floor, he is he is elite, in my opinion. He just scores inside and out. And that's hard. To, that, that guy's a hard guy to replicate. Um, the one thing I would tell you is while this year feels like it's trending in a goofy, bad direction because they're just not very talented, Sean Miller will get this right. That's the part for me of if you're a Xavier fan, it's going to suck to some degree because this is going to be a squirmy season to finish above 500, in my opinion. I really believe that. And if he does more than that and he pushes this to the tournament, then damn, good for him. He's are, that you say, good hold on. are you saying 500 in Big East play or 500 period? 500 period. I, I really oh, believe that. Wow. I think the Big really? East. You think they're that bad? Yeah, after I looked at yeah, after I looked at that game, and again, this is one game snap opinion, and I'm probably going to be wrong, and I'm fine with being wrong. Um, I just I, I think they're going to really struggle against elite competition, and they face a handful of those teams in the non-league. Not a ton, but a handful, and it's going to look ugly. I mean, the Purdue game is going to be ugly, in my opinion. If it's not, then great. I, again, I think Sean's a terrific coach. And the thing is, he'll get this roster right, it just stinks that two guys that would have been key components cannot play. Um, and that, and that's the part that as a coach, you, you, you try to massage it, you try to make it work, you try to make it fixed and you couldn't do it. Um, and we're going to get to UC in a minute where people think they have two elite guys who are out and they're not elite. They're good. You're talking about, in my opinion, two guys that are difference makers. Jerome Hunter was great down the stretch. Zach Freeman was a great offensive player. He stinks on defense. We know that. That part, Everybody knows that. Hell, Sean knows that. They try to mask it, for goodness sakes. But he's elite offensively, and they just are going to miss that significantly, in my opinion. Yeah, one th- I, 
I'll just just to point this out because there are some Xavier fans that subscribe to my site and listen to this and will criticize me for this. And I like Xavier. Here. You know me, but I, I like Xavier, right? Well, I, and I don't think it's about liking him or not liking him. I just want to say because of their non-conference schedule, I think you're overestimating that a little bit. The Purdue game is going to be tough. They also have to play Houston, which is obviously a tough opponent. But Houston lost a lot from last year too. So I think that game is, with it being at the Centos Center, I think that's a little bit more of a coin flip game than you might think. And then aside mm-hmm. from that, I mean, their other biggest game is like Cincinnati, Washington, and then whoever they play in the second game of that Vegas Invitational, which will be like right. San Diego State or St. Mary's, which will be a tough game. Uh, but I, I don't. I mean, I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to be struggling to get to 500 in non-conference play here. No, but I, I mean, I could see a seven and eleven Big East. Um, seven eleven. Well, they're they're going to play twenty games. All right, so I can see an eight and twelve Big East. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah, it, so it'll be close to five hundred. Let's go there. It'll be close. Yeah, I think I think they're around five hundred ish in Big East play, and that'll be the key for them. It's like, do you win that game at yeah. Seton Hall? Do you win that game at Providence? Some of those those toss up games that you may have to go win a tough one on the road against a team that's not that great, but it's still hard because it's the Big East on the road. Those are some of the games that I think will, drop, will give this team a chance. Or don't drop a game at DePaul. Well, yeah, there's no way they can do that this year. I mean, they'll give themselves no chance right. if they have those types of losses. But, right. I mean, having, DePaul just lost to a Horizon League team and not even one of the good ones. Well, it wasn't quite as bad as Vanderbilt losing to Presbyterian, for goodness sakes. This is true. All right, let's switch gears here to Cincinnati. They beat UIC 69-58 to in their season opener. They'll play Detroit Mercy on Friday and Eastern Washington on Sunday. Quick turnaround there. They were led by Day-Day Thomas, their junior college point guard transfer, who had 15 points. Dan Skillings and C.J. Frederick both came off the bench to be their second and third leading scorers. Dan Skillings had 13. C.J. Frederick had 11. I'll just start with Day-Day Thomas, Skinny. I certainly didn't have him pegged to be their leading scorer on night one. That surprised me, if nothing else, from this result. Yeah, agree. Good good for him, and that was great to see. But, you know, I I go back to what we talked about when we did our previews for all these teams. Who scores for them? Who I mean, who scores for them? Listen, CJ, that's about what he is. He's an 11-point per game guy. He's 9 to 12 to 11. He's not going to light up the scoreboard. Dan Skilling's performance was nice. And it was, um, uh, if you're a UC fan, that was a great thing to see because if he's going to take that step forward, they need a guy like that. Uh, but the bigs were bad. Um, you know, Ravon Griffith didn't play for a goofy reason, whatever it was. And you played UIC, man. It wasn't like you played somebody any good and you really scuffled the score against UIC. And I go back to I go back to the question I asked the whole time is who scores for this team on a consistent basis against somebody good? This team wasn't any good, and you still struggled to score seven. You didn't get 70 points against this slop team. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the thing with Day Day Thomas being their leading scorer. Is it's like, well, it's good that Day Day Thomas looks like he has a little juice, he's a good athlete, he can get you some points, but it does speak to the idea of wow, th- this team is kind of what we thought that they don't really have that clear go-to leading scorer right now and maybe because I I mentioned this last week that I thought Dan Skillings could be their best player this year but it's also possible that he comes off the bench and he did come off the bench but he was their second leading scorer maybe the answer at some point will be Dan Skillings 
getting more opportunities and becoming more of a featured player in their offense because he's the guy that I think has the offensive ability to to get you 15 a night on a regular basis. In the Big 12 or in the non-con? In general, on this team, I think he's the one guy that I look at and has the type of skills to get to that point. Now, is he a Big 12, 15 points a game type of guy right now? I highly doubt it because Wes Miller isn't even starting him. He has John Newman starting him over him, which, I mean, that's what I would ask you, Skinny, is I watched that game, and by the end of it, I'm thinking, I just can't imagine their starting lineup is the same in a month. No. Because you got the two bigs in there. And and and, I I will say. And Newman. Yeah, I I will say this for Wes. I'm going to guess he is one of those coaches, and I am too, of guys that have been with him for a while, have worked hard, have been a part of the program. The homage is, let me give that guy first crack. Let me give that guy the first shot to see what he can give us. And I think for John Newman especially, based on coming off the injury, um, you know, being with Wes, I'm going to give him first crack. And I think he wants to try to play two bigs in theory, depending on what happens with uh, Bandiogo and with Jameel Reynolds. And we still don't know where that's going to go at this point. So I think he wants to play. It, it's not going to be both those guys, but it may be one of those guys in Victor. I think you want to see what him and Aguama would, would look like. I get all the, that. Part I, that part I'm not going to criticize. because I get As a coach myself, I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to give John for, like, John, hey, man, I appreciate what you all you've done. I'm going to start you. Um, I may not play you more minutes than I play Dan Skillings, but I'm going to start you just because your name gets announced. I'm going to try to play the two bigs against the sh- a crap team like this and see what you guys do. And they were terrible. They were horrible. So at some point now you have to figure out, all right, I get it. I get what you did, but now let's adjust. And I, I do think Wes is smart enough to adjust. I just don't know if this roster is any good. Yeah. I Odio Guama. And to me, he and John Newman is just, you're, you're having two guys on your offense or on in your lineup that are, negative offensive players that the other team just isn't going to guard for the most part. And yeah, it really makes it hard on those other guys when you do that. So I, I, we saw what Victor Lockin and Odio Guama gets you last year. And that was at a lower level. I don't think they're suddenly going to become good enough to be what you need in the big 12. I know you're strapped this year for, for options, especially in the front court, but I think maybe the answer might end up being for this team you just have to go small and get your best offensive players on the floor more. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to score yeah. enough. You know, maybe you just yeah. see Miss hey, Lukosius has played the four before. You put him back there. You play Dan Skillings in the lineup with uh, those other guys, and you just go a little bit smaller maybe. Yeah, I'm going to give a pass to him too because he was, what, two for 13 from the floor uh, first game out with this group. I'm, I'm giving him a pass. Maybe I shouldn't, but uh, maybe it's not fair for me to give him a I'm going to give him a pass. But, you know, at some point you have to realize, I mean, don't tell me Victor Locken's making threes in practice in 5-on-0. Good for you, dude. He's just not very good. He has no left hand. He just, he's a, he's a, honestly, he's an American Athletic Conference center who was very average in the American Athletic Conference. Some guy I heard, I don't know who it was, said he was one of the best players in the Big 12. I'm not sure who that was, but. Wish I knew the guy's name, but man, that was the dumbest take I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I see that. All right, NKU, they lost to Middle Tennessee State 74-57. Quite honestly, it felt like it might have been a bigger spread than that. Uh, they play at Washington on Thursday night and then host DePaul. That's with a W, the Division II team, 
on Tuesday at Truist Arena. About, hang on, time out, Rick. Time out, Rick. How about this? You're going from playing Washington to DePaul on a, DePaul. About a four or five day. Yeah, DePaul with a W. How about that difference from Washington to DePaul? Little bit different, although I'm not so sure you wouldn't rather face the real DePaul with an L at this point with the way they're playing. Maybe. It might be a, an easier maybe. win. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Marquez Warwick led NKU, no surprise there, with 18 points against Middle Tennessee State. Sam Vincent had 13. But Skinny, I mean, they were down, I think it was 31 to 12 in the first half of this game. And then they started playing and it got competitive from there. And they kind of played with Middle Tennessee State. But you can't spot a team the first 15 minutes and a huge deficit like that, or you get, you really give yourself no chance on the road. Yeah. So I asked you, cause I didn't get a chance to listen to you guys. And I, I was watching Kentucky and doing some work and all those things. So I didn't get, I should have put you guys on the radio. Cause I like listening to NKU games. Cause you and Jim Kelch do a great job. And I mean that sincerely, but I didn't get a chance to listen. So I actually texted you what a day ago. And I said, was NKU that bad? Was it a bad start? Was it just a weird performance? Was in uh, middle Tennessee that good? And you kind of gave me a little, a little bit of all, but I was disappointed in that because I didn't think they would go with the veteran guard play. Usually veteran guard play carries you enough. And that was the thing that disappointed me to lose by that margin with veteran guard play. But the problem is, and this was part of the issue, is there's a brand new point guard making the jump up from Division Two. No, so you're it's right. like, yeah, You've yeah said you have that. veteran guards on the wing. But when you have a new guy handling the ball and you're running a completely new system on offense, things were just out of sorts. And, and they did not handle the athleticism and physicality of Middle Tennessee State for the first 10 minutes. They looked shell-shocked. And it's not the first time we've seen that. We saw it at Washington State last year. I mean, th- this team has had a tendency that with, with this group of leaders and best players to sometimes be bothered by teams that are longer and more athletic than them. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you're getting bumped. Yes, you're getting fouled. Yes, you're getting pushed and all that. But it's not going they to stop. It. This is what they do at the higher level, especially if you're an undersized scorer like a Marquez Warwick or someone like that. You have to be able to handle these things. And, and this NKU team just hasn't done that all that well until they get to the end of the year and they're playing meaningful games. And like yeah. last year against Washington, they did it great. I mean, they handled it wonderfully, uh, but it just seems like it takes them some time to ramp up to that. And, and they'll have to get it out of their system and turn around quickly because they've got a high major team tomorrow night against Washington. But the thing is, those things are such good tests, right? Because none of this matters. I mean, you're not building a resume. You're building your team to get better in um, in December, January, February, when you're playing in your league. How does this make you better? How is this a selling point, a teaching point for Darren Horn? I think that's all this is about. Um, I know that sounds soft shoe and all those things, but it really doesn't matter. It, it you know. If you got beat 90 to 49, it probably would have mattered of, oh, gosh, we're not talented enough. I don't think it was a matter of talent. I mean, it was a matter of, to your to your point, because you texted me about, of handling the things you needed. And so, again, I don't expect them to go to Washington and do anything other than lose by 16 to 18. And if you lose by more, it'll be disappointing. And if you lose by less, then good for you. You kind of fixed it. And so let's see what you can do with that. But you're right. I mean, and that's where I go back to, and I hate to do this, I go back to UC. I wish people would realize the level of talent between a UC and a big 12, real big 12 team. They got NBA dudes. You got none. You got none. And for NKU, you've got nice college players playing middle Tennessee, which what was it? Two years ago, three years ago when they beat Michigan state, I think in the NCAA tournament, I know it's not the same group, but they got dudes. 
Washington's got dudes. It's not a very good Pac-12 team, but they got dudes. Pac, if they went to the, to the Horizon League, they wouldn't lose a game probably. So there's a big difference in talent, dudes. There's just a big freaking difference. Yeah, there is. And I think I think NKU will right the ship sooner than later. And certainly the one thing I love about Darren Horn and his staff is they don't shy away from the fact that this is all about three days in March for them. They have to win, the, yes. win those games and they, they plan everything around yes. that. And there, I've seen a lot of other programs in the league who never win anything of consequence, who talk way more about winning big non-conference games and worried about things earlier in the Good year. And it's you. like, well, guess right. what? We never see you at Indianapolis when the conference tournament is on the line. So that's good right. for you. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our betting segment. Skinny, rough week for you last week. You went two, five, and one. I was four, three, and one, just over 500 there. Uh, You are now 37, 29, and two overall. I am 34, 32, and two overall. So we'll start on Saturday at noon. And hang on. And and I, I, hang on. I hit my best bet. I hit my Bengals bet. I said Bengals were my best bet of the week. You did. You did, and I uh, I did not hit because the other side of that for me uh, failed me. So uh, we because I had sorry, UCF, of course. Yeah, uh, Saturday at noon, it's Alabama as an eleven point favorite at Kentucky. The total is forty six and a half. All right, so I picked against Kentucky last week. Um, they feel like they that was a nice right the ship win enough to have confidence. They're not going to beat Alabama. I think they play them really tough. In Lexington, um, Devin Leary didn't play great this game. He played great the game before. I think he plays great this game. I think Ray Davis balls out this game. I think the defense is better this game. I will go Alabama 30, Kentucky 27. So Kentucky and the over for me on the line. Wow. Kentucky and the over from I think, to I think Bama gets a hell of a scare here. I really, I, I really think they get a hell of a scare. I do. Uh, let, let me get those uh, blue-colored glasses off your face there for you so you can see a little bit better because it, it seems like it's getting colored blue in that room pretty quickly over there. I'm going to go Alabama. Yeah, good point. That's a good, good point, Rick. That's a good point, Rick. What do you got? Bama in the over for me. Alabama 35, Kentucky 14. All right, I'm gonna I just, I just don't see any I way this UK team keeps this game close. Right. Saturday at seven, we've got UC at Houston. Houston is a two and a half point favorite. The total is fifty-five. I, I it's it's Houston's not very good. It's but it's hard to pick. I mean, how do you pick UC even getting two and a half? It's less than a field goal. I mean, I hope they win. I hope for the UC fan base they win. The, everybody needs it. I just don't see it. I'll go. I'll go Houston 31-21. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, and we're very similar on the score here. I think if this was a maybe even three-and-a-half-point spread, I might be a little more interested in UC, although you won't feel that way by my score. But at two-and-a-half, it it just feels like that you have to play Houston if you're betting this game at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm going going Houston 28, Cincinnati 21, Houston in the under. I think – with Cincinnati and UCF not even making it to 55, I don't think this game is getting to 55. So I do like that under number. Then Saturday at 7:30, we've got Michigan State at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are a 31 point favorite. The total is 47. Think about this: Michigan State is a pretty proud program inside the Big Ten, and they're a 31 point dog. And they're guess paying what? Their coach 10 million a year. They did well, and then he got fired for cause. So I don't know what they're paying their coach currently. 
This feels like Ohio State gets it to a number and then just says we're good. So I'm going to go Ohio State 41, Michigan State 13. Again, I it feels like a number Ohio State should cover, but it just feels weird just because it's just going to – they're going to get up big and go, yeah, here, handoff here, you second-string guy come in there. 41-13 is my final. 54, what, what's the total again? I, I went 54 for my total. 47, so you're way over. Don't tell me you're easily over. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go way over. Yeah. Um, I You're probably right about that, and I know everyone's going to yell at me because I always take these giant lines – and I've been burned on them a few times by this very Ohio State team this year. But I'm doing it. Ohio State 45, Michigan State 6. OSU in the over. Wow. I just, four of the last five Michigan State games have gone over, by the way, because their defense is terrible. Well, I, I, would, I, would, tell, I would tell you, what, what, is the over, over and you said it's 46? 47. 47. Well, close enough. This game feels like it goes over by a ton. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Ohio state is getting very close to that 47 by themselves. Yeah, I agree. Agree. All right. Sunday at one, we've got the Texans at the Bengals. The Bengals are a six and a half point favorite. The total is 47 and a half. Yeah. I mean, there's some injury, obviously issues we've talked about, but I still think this Bengals team at home, I know it's the proverbial trap game. The Bengals are really good in those games. In my opinion, they, seem to handle their situation well. They seem to focus on the moment better than most. I'll go Bengals 31-20 over the Texans. 31-20, so that will be Bengals and the over at 50 there. Um, I'm going to go Bengals and under. I, I like Bengals 24, Texans 17. This game with Chase and Higgins potentially both being out does worry me a little bit. I could see this being like a Bengals field goal game potentially, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say they cover. Um, they have won and covered four in a row, by the way. So this is a chance to to cover five straight games for the Bengals. What is your best bet of the week, Skinny? All right, this is gonna be crazy. This is a five team teaser I've got, which is just terrible. It. It's Let's a terrible go. bet. I'm stupid. Let's I'm gonna go. go New England. It's a six point teaser. New England up seven and a half at home against Indy. Actually, not at home. They're on a neutral site in Germany. But seven and a half. I'm going to go Baltimore down to a pick at home against Cleveland. The Bengals down to minus one at home against Houston. Jacksonville up to nine at home against San Francisco. And Minnesota up to eight and a half with Josh Dobbs um, uh, against New Orleans. So there you go. There's my five-team teaser. All right. I'm going to go for the America's Villain Play of the Week. I am betting Michigan minus four and a half over Penn State. I just don't think there's oh, wow. any. now I am a little concerned about one thing here. And that is the conspiratorial side of me is a little bit concerned that the big 10 has put it in the word with the officials that, Hey, we need Michigan to lose before this Ohio state game so that we can for legit reasons, keep them out of the college football playoff without having to suspend Jim Harbaugh or do anything ourselves. So we need you to do everything you can. I am a little bit worried about that, but I Fair still enough. don't think it's enough to defeat this Michigan team. I think they are absolutely going to to win everything they need to leading up to this Ohio State game to be undefeated and put all the pressure on the NCAA and the Big Ten to make decisions here. The funny part, Ricky, is you know what's funny? Michigan's really good. That's they're a really good. That nobody's talking about. They're they're really good. Well, of course they're good. They know what's coming before every snap. <laughs> 
It just, it'll never get old. It'll never get old. That's the best part about this is Michigan fans are like just the worst. And no matter what, 10 years from milk now. Milk it, milk it, milk it, milk it, milk it. 10 years from now, you'll someone will be like, oh, I'm a Michigan fan. You'll be like, you'll immediately start making cheater jokes about it. It's like the same thing everyone does to Patriots people. The same thing everyone does, the same thing everyone does to Astros fans. We'll just make fun of you for cheating no matter what for like the next two decades because of this. And I love that. All right, let's get into some Ask Any Anything to wrap this thing up real quick. All right. Men's volleyball, men's and women's swimming, men's and women's triathlon, and women's stunt. They're all going to be added to NKU's College of Athletics, Skinny, the athletics department at NKU. Uh, what is your favorite out of those sports? That's what we were asked. Um, um, let's go women's stunt. I mean, wh- what are we doing? What, 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 Did what you are know we what women's stunt was? I, not a chance. It's cheerleading, right? Yeah. Did you know it's that before be today, though? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I was assuming that. I know it's my daughter cheerleaded, so I know what stunt is. So I was assuming that's what it was, but I mean, I'm glad that kids get a chance. Are, are, are any of these kids getting scholarship money? You think, I mean, I'm serious I, about this. Are they, is this just adding sports for sports sake? Or are they getting scholarship money? No, the whole idea of it was to boost enrollment. And I assume to boost revenue. So my, my assumption would be that very few of these player, these student athletes are going to be getting scholarships. I would assume they're all coming to pay tuition so, so they can boost enrollment and boost the money coming in. Are, are are we division one or not division one? Yeah or nay? I'm putting division on the spot one and apparently division one in volleyball, I, I, men's and women's I, I don't, I don't mean to women's put you triathlon, women's stunt. Do you want to? You know what? Like I'm going to get I us just, matching women's stunt shirts, and we're going to start going to all the stunt matches I'll and live podcasting from there. I, I I think it's a good. I mean, honestly, anytime an athlete can play a sport, but at the same time, if you think you're a division one pro. Graham, if you're going to do this again, you don't have to answer this. You are, I'm not putting you on the spot. You work for NKU as a broadcaster, so you can stay out of this. I'm just giving my own opinion. I'm just going to tell you if you're going to do this, please don't hold Rick Boring to this, NKU people. I'm just going to, I mean, what is the point of this? This is the dumbest thing ever because, again, what, what, if, if you give people scholarship money, great, but if you can't, what is the point? Just, Stop being stupid. I, I shouldn't Shut speak up. for don't them. Do I don't, don't know do how many don't scholarships do are involved. Shut up. Don't I assume do it. the idea. I assume the idea is the same as Xavier putting in Pioneer League football. I assume they're trying to boost enrollment and, and boost revenue. So and then uh, and then Xavier didn't. And then Xavier went. Ah, we're good. We're not going to do this. No, we're good. No, I, I think they're still trying. But uh, I will ask if we're allowed to. Um, to tailgate for those stunt matches and you and I can start going to those. Yeah. I think, I think you'll be I'll a big be stunt there. fan. I'll be, I'll be there. You and I will go All there right. and we'll drink and we'll have a good time. All right. This is the only other question we have skinny. Now that weed is legal in Ohio, would skinny consider taking an edible at the start of the podcast? Not a chance. Not a chance. So I can't give this away too much. But I had, a friend, I had a friend of mine that, that took an edible um, one night oh, no. a few months ago. Oh, no. And that person took two edibles when they were only take, supposed to take a quarter of an edible. And they called me and asked me to take them to the hospital because their heart was racing. And I 
I was a few bourbons into my night and I said, I can't do it. I said, you're going to have to call somebody else. I, I'd like to come help. I did. I like to come help you. I can't do it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in a bad place myself. So they did, they found somebody that they knew. And the next day they, they actually went to the hospital. It was not the best thing in the world. It was a little bit too much for them. So no, I, um, I will tell, I, I will give everybody this part of the, part of the audience. I, 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 I like to drink alcohol. I'm not going to lie, but I've smoked marijuana one time in my life out of a bubble yum wrapper. How about that? Uh, Wait, like you rolled a joint, like, a mini joint out of a bubble yum wrapper or something? Oh yeah. My friend and I did that. I left and then he did it more times. I left in my car and went home. I was in high school. I'm not going to, I was down in Latonia of all places. You're stomping grounds, mind you, um, working out of McDonald's. Um, so anyway, there's a McDonald's down there. Um, so anyway, uh, so I did that and he apparently did a few more and wrapped his car around a telephone pole, somehow survived. Thank God. And, uh, it was not good for him. And I said, what did you do? He goes, well, when you left, I did a few more. I've ne- neither one of us had ever done it before. We ne- and at that point in my life, I went, I'm good. I'm not doing this again. I'm not a nerd. I'm not a prude. You do you. I do me. I'm not going to judge anybody. But at that point in my life, I went, I'm not doing this ever again. I mean, he literally almost died wrapping his car. And he is, to this day, he's my best friend. We were in each other's weddings. He is He is actually now retired uh, with, a, uh, with a great pension, following a great job. And he's a good dude, but it was one of the great stories. He called me the next day and I went, what did you do? He goes, yeah, wrap the car around the telephone pole. I went, okay, my man. Let me rephrase the question. Will you get that best, same best friend on the podcast and you guys can smoke a little bubble yum wrapper joint on the podcast? Not a chance. Not a chance. I did. So here's the funny part. Here's the funny part, Rick. So I did it. Um, I didn't feel good about myself because I always thought I held myself to a standard of I'm I'm not going to be the drug guy again. Hold myself to whatever standard I held myself to, and so I did it. So the next day, I literally I had a really good. You know where I lived, right? No, oh, yeah, in Crestview Hills, and I had a really good backyard where I had a basketball goal. It was great. We actually could play full half court basketball. We played five on five almost every night when we could. So the next day I went out in the backyard and I punished myself for four hours shooting baskets, running, running, running lines, sweating the stuff out of my, my body and just mad at myself. I'm 17 years old doing this. You're and a coach, I just like holding myself yourself at the time. I you were, was, you're always I held to myself. To, I did. I held myself to the standard of, I am not going to do this ever again. And I literally, I'd shoot for about an hour and then I'd go run up and back and then I'd shoot again I, I did it for four hours and I came in my dad actually said, what are you doing, man? I said, dad did something last night. I'm not proud of. I just want to let you know I'm going to bed. He goes, would you want to tell me? No, I don't. I said, but I'm not proud of it. I got it out of my system. It wasn't criminal in theory. <laughs> I said, it wasn't criminal, but I'm good with it. And he goes, okay. I just want to make sure you were okay. Cause he goes, you put yourself through a hell of a workout. I go, I sure did. And so there I was, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stand myself after that. I love the image of you like laying there, like panting after running sprints. And then the voice inside your head yelling at yourself going, you're oh, not yeah. holding yourself to coach skinny standard right now. I was I, mad. I, I was really myself. Cause it was one of the things I went, I'm never going to do this. I'm not going to judge other people. My best friends did. I, I didn't care. I, di- I didn't care. But I'm like, I'm not going to do this. 
because I'm a, I am literally, I knew even at age 17, I was obsessive compulsive and I am to this day. And I thought, God, if I start smoking pot, I don't know where this is going to go. It could go in worse directions. I can't do this. And when I did it for the first time, I went, oh, I hate myself. I'm not going to do this. And then when he calls me the next day, my buddy, I'm like, yeah, that could have been me easily. I'm not doing this ever again. I'm uh, no, thank you. And I haven't, I mean, and like I said, the, the, the person that called me with the edible gummies and that person, that person was so freaked out. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I've kind of made the decision I made. It. And that person did not know what those gummies were going to do to them. So is it weird to you that this like younger generation that's coming? And I'm talking about adults, but like younger adults right now are stopping drinking. Like there's a lot of people that just aren't drinking at all anymore. But I've heard that. The weed yes. use is completely and, normal. And trust me. And trust me, I for I, I love to drink. I like bourbon. I like beer. I like wine. I drink probably more than I should drink. Um, so yeah, I've, I've heard that. And um, I mean, good for them. I mean, maybe that's people realizing they have a disorder that may affect them. But uh, I do think, you know, again, I'm, I, I'm not judging pot. I just, back in our day, pot led to this, led to that. That's, trust me, that's what it was. It was pot led to you doing this drug and that drug. And I'm like, Mm, I'm so OCD. And I even knew that before anybody knew what OCD was. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I, I, I this will take me down a bad path. And I didn't do it until the one time I did. It. And then I hated myself the next. I hated myself so bad the next day. Was Barbara Bush, the big anti-weed later? Was it Nancy Reagan? I think it was Nancy Reagan. Yes. Nancy Reagan okay. was, 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 uh, say no to drugs. She was say no to drugs. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. So you had that. To- and that's my era. Yeah. That was my era. Yes, correct. Correct. There we go. And so here's the all thing. Right, that's all I I've got. been drinking Sprite all night. I, I've been drinking Sprite all night. I just put a little bourbon into this. So there we go. So there there I am. I'm, I'm shaming myself. I'm, I'm I'm outing myself, drinking a bourbon at the moment. Cheers, Skinny. Go uh, run a few sprints tomorrow to, to make up for that. Yeah, not as bad as it was back in the day. Rick, I thank you as always. Thanks for watching and listening. Uh, make sure you send uh, questions to Rick next week for Ask Skinny Anything. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast presented by Blake, the attorney Maisley.